Hello and welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Our guest today is DJ Semtex, who is joining us from the UK. As many of you know, DJ Semtex is a DJ himself. He is a longtime and legendary radio host as well. He has opened up and broken tons of acts that many of you both in the United States and around the world have listened to. He's gotten their early interviews with Drake, the early interviews with Kendrick Lamar. I've definitely followed and referenced several of those interviews in Trapital. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you, man. Hey, listen, it's an honor, man. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. It's great timing, too, to connect because this summer especially, I feel like British hip-hop is having a moment. I mean, we just saw Stormzy headline, Glastonbury, Top Boy has been getting a bunch of traction in the States. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know what it is? I think we've finally found our voice. I think for years, you know, we've been fans of U.S. hip-hop and, you know, you know, given how, how old the culture is for hip-hop, it's, it's 50 years in America. For, for us, we it took us a minute to figure it out. And I think there's there's different sounds over here. We we like we like to do things like um an experiment with different sounds. So whereas in America you've had, you know, the institution of R and B, the institution of hip hop and, you know, rock and pop is is very much those genres. We've kind of like done hybrid genres. So you know, we, we, we had UK hip hop way in the beginning and then it turned into rave music and that transformed into jungle music that transformed into drum and bass. Then you had garage music. Then we had dubstep. And, you know, we've had so many different genres. We never had that culture of hip hop where you had masters like Dr. Dre, Timberland and Pharrell who oversaw generations of artists come through and different eras because our pioneering producers flipped different sounds. So recently, when I say recently, I think grime, which is often, is, is often mistaken for being a byproduct of hip hop. It really isn't. Grime is more byproducts of EDM and dancehall than anything else. Like hip hop is a byproduct of dancehall, you know, thanks to Cool Herc. Um, grime music is like, is, is, 15 to 19 years old now, depending on who you speak to. And that, that's, that's a culture within itself. That's a, a true UK genre of music like punk was. And what's emerged during that time is UK rap. And it's a very, very different thing to what UK hip hop was, where you had artists sounding American and mimicking American and everything else. Where UK rap, you know, thanks to grime, you've got rappers who embrace their own English accent and you've got guys who are on the streets and we're just like, fuck it. You know, instead of trying to appeal to any kind of American audience or fan base or fit in, they just rapped how they rapped about what they were doing. So the UK rap thing has emerged. And I think, I think gigs was the first one to really, really break through with that uncompromising sound and that uncompromising approach. And it will be the first to tell you, that there were many others before him, but he was the one that really put it on the map. He's the one that put the flag in the sand. This is what we're doing. It's different. And from that, he's just grown and grown and grown. You've got grime, you've got UK rap, you've got two genres over here, which are popping. And I was with Anthony Stella um, yesterday and, and he even said, like, what's, what's going on in the UK right now is, is 50% UK rap and 25% 
Afro swing, which is derivative of Afrobeats music. That's the UK take on it. And it's 25% American music now in the club. Like the equilibrium's definitely changed from what it was. And it's it's just a beautiful thing what's going on out here. There's there's industries now, there's ecosystems and there's like different streams of um distributing your music, whether you sign to a label or whether you choose to do the independent thing, like we figured it out from the distribution side of things. We figured it out how rap works within a major label system. So it's it's a really, really great time and it's really exciting and it's only going to get better. It's only going to get bigger. Do you think that those sub genres, whether it's grime or Afrobeats, do you see all of those being able to scale to the global's perspective in the same way that trap music started in Atlanta and grew from there and now that sound is global. Do you see that same thing happening? I think I think with grime, you gotta remember with 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 hip hop it's fifty years deep. With grime it's is let's let's say it's fifteen, like, you know, from from when the first grime album dropped, like Dizzy Rascal, Boy in a Corner, um and, and Wiley, you know, treading on ice. If if you look at it from that point it's still in its infancy, as great as it's doing and as well as it's doing. There's an artist called Kano who just put on a show at the Royal Albert Hall. Skepta's doing a European tour and he's putting um, Pop Smoke on as a support act, which again, that's diff- that's very, very different to have a UK artist with a US support act. Traditionally, it's been the other way around. And I think it's it will pivot, it will scale up and it's just a matter of time. There's a new generation of artists every year that comes through and they refuel the culture, they refuel the genre. And if you look at what AJ Trace has done, it's incredible. Like and he's independent. You know, he's he's selling units, he's selling out tickets and is not stopping anytime soon. He's he's proven that you can have a top five single in grime without having to um signed to a major label and it's proven that it can be done, you know, and, and again and again and again, more people are going to be doing that. When you look at what Stormzy's done, you know, he's, he's a pop star now. He's, he's, he's up there with the likes of Adele and Ed Sheeran. The album's going to be dropping next month. And, you know, it, it, whoever blows up internationally first, I can't call it. I, I, I would say it'd be Skepta from the grime scene. Um, because he's already made moves on what he did with Vaysat Rocky and Praise the Lord, the massive club banger out here in the UK and the rest of Europe. Um, so Skepta over Stormzy, huh? When, when mm, that <laughs> not Skepta over, <laughs> not Skepta over. Uh, yeah, I gotta be careful, but not Skepta over Stormzy. I think Stormzy, Stormzy over here is a is a household name. It's it's undisputed. He's he's a pop star. You know, he's he's what he's done with Glastonbury, what he did with Banksy and everything else is constantly in popular culture. I think what Skepta's done um, better than anybody else is the collaborations with US rappers. He's he's worked with um, up-and-coming artists at the same time. He's associated with the right names and it's mutual partnerships, mutual creative partnerships. And I think, I think he's just approached it in a different way. He shunned the limelight. He got offered... Um, an MBE award from, you know, the Royal Family from the Queen, which is, a, you know, it's an establishment award. He, he turned it down because he didn't want to be associated with that. I don't think Stormzy would turn it down. They're very different artists than their approach to um, how they see their artistry. And I think Skepta's more on the counterculture type of vibe. Stormzy's more on the, 
he, he wants the mainstream look. He wants it. And that's grime. If you look at UK rap, the UK rap scene is equally popping up. If you look at, um, there's a group called D-Block Europe. They just had a top five album for the last four weeks independently. I mean, it's actually historical. D-Block Europe have had a top five album for four weeks independently with a feature from Little Baby and they sold 30,000 tickets in the space of four hours. It, again, every week, records are getting broken, things are changing, constant disruption. So when you're asking me, is it going to um, go global? Definitely. When? I couldn't tell you. Afro Swing is... Um, with Afro Swing, it's, it's a different thing because it's heavily influenced by Afro beats with the UK rap vibe. And over here, traditionally, the biggest minority demographic was, you know, Caribbean, which is why reggae and dancehall have been big for years. But, you know, if the statistics show it, the data from the government shows it, that the Nigerian demographic is growing year on year, which obviously you're going to have that influence of youth music getting bigger year on year. And it has, you know... So the Afrobeat African artists are selling out shows and popping up over here. But the kids who are adopting that sound and, you know, merging it with UK rap and they're taking it somewhere else. And it's, it's more on the commercial scale of music, even though it's still very, very street. It's like, it's like, it's like our first urban form of pop music is, 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 it's unashamedly pop, you know, it's big choruses, big songs, singing, marimbas and everything. And, and it's, it's, it's another sound which is, is popping. It's, it's going up. There's a group out here called NSG who are at the forefront of that. Um, Jay Huss, I wouldn't say he's a, you know, an Afro swing artist. He's a UK rap artist, but he's taken the African sound, applied it to his music. Thanks to his producer, J5. And they, they've come up with something which is really unique, you know. It's 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 a different it's a different experience. What's going on out here right now? It's a merging of sounds. It's it's a different way of releasing music, and it's it's a different way of doing business. And again, if you ask me, is it going to go global? Undoubtedly, I just can't tell you when, but definitely in the next five years, you're going to hear more of these artists, more of these sounds, and we 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 are going to be invading in the U.S. You know, whether people like it or not. <laughs> I like that attitude. A few times you mentioned American artists. I think you mentioned Lil Baby. You mentioned Skeptis connections to U.S. artists. How important do you think that cosign is from an American artist? A few years ago, I would have said it was imperative. But now we're in a situation where the biggest rapper in the world is Canadian I think that's kind of gone out of the window. And it's crazy that the biggest rapper in the world has embraced the U.K., bigger in a bigger way more than any other u.s artist ever has and he's reaped the benefits of that drake should have a uk passport drake should be knighted drake is seen as he's one of us people see him as part of the uk artist community there's an award show out here put together by grm daily called the rated awards and in <laughs> in the best UK rap category, they put Drake in and you know, yeah, it's a little bit comical, but it's actually, uh, yeah, he's one of us, you know? Nice. Yeah. So I'll go ahead. So, yeah. So I think, I think, I think it's still important, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all. You, you can crush it in the United States states of europe without having a u.s cosign you can be the king of the uk castle without having a u.s cosign yeah i i agree and considering the 
success that a lot of the artists in the UK have had. You mentioned a number of names that haven't had that big association. And I think it's good to see. And I think to me, that's one of the indicators of uh, genre music truly getting there. Like, I think you need, not need, but it's nice to have the cosigns. But once the artists can do it on their own, I think it shows that maturity, not maturity, but it shows that growth path that the music is on. I've looked a lot of this with Latin hip hop as well. The U.S. cosign, like from Drake, like, you know, the song with uh, Drake and Bad Bunny, a lot of that was seen as, okay, who can get Drake, who can't? But after a while, you're able to see that, no, these artists may have needed that and to begin with, but it's no longer necessary. And I think that growth is, is a great thing to see. Let me put it another way. You shouldn't be asking me how important is the U.S. cosign. You should be asking me how important is the U.K. cosign. And if you want to break the U.K., you really have to be fucking with us. You really have to be fucking with the artist community because it's them days of coming over and being worshipped, they're over. It's like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll play your hit record and everything else and we'll like it. We'll show, you, show you some love and everything else. But if you really want to get the full benefits of the UK market, you, you've got to work with UK artists. It's, it's an unwritten rule, but now it's bigger than an unwritten rule. It's more of an understanding. Like you, you really got to contribute to the culture and it is about collaboration. It is about working with artists. And, and if, if you're smart, you'll get it and you'll be doing it instinctively, not just because, oh yeah, I need them euros and I need them pounds. You'll be doing it, you know? So I think it is, it's definitely switched. It's like, you know, don't get it twisted. But it's, it's not Skepta looking and ringing people up and DMing people. I get it. Like when people land in the UK, yo, can you put me to a Skepta? Yo, I need to work with da, 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 da. Like it, it's a thing now. It's, it's almost as, it's like having your passport stamped. You, you need to work with us. One of the things that I have seen with US is the shift that political hip hop has had and how that's changed the tone in music over time. For example, there's been artists that have made music about the Donald Trump presidency and what that means. A lot of that music hasn't necessarily been mainstream in the way that folks here might have expected it to, but it still is made. And there's still artists, whether they're making music or using their voice to do interviews with candidates or things like the U.S. artists are definitely trying to make their presence known and using their platforms. I'm curious what that's like in the Brexit era for Europe. How do you think that's impacted the music that's come out? How do you think that's impacted the culture? There was moments at the last election where Jeremy Corbyn, who's the leader of the opposition um, political party, he's, 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 you know, he's, he's the head of the, the Labour Party. He's, he's had a filmed meeting with a grime artist called Jamie. Um, he's professed to love Stormzy and they've exchanged tweets and whatnot and everything else. I, I kind of get a little, I kind of get a little alarmed by that because, you know, they know they need the youth vote. You know, Obama won the US election because he got one of the highest youth turnouts ever. And I think, I don't think any government has really paid attention to that and figured out how to do it organically and how to do it the right way. And I think, I think, 
you know, if you look at what, with the Obama administration, it was the first administration to embrace hip hop, you know, but before that it was just Easy or Bush dinner or something or, you know, LL Cool J co-signing something. But there was never an overt connection between hip hop and um, somebody who was a political leader in the US. It's never been done before. And it's kind of totally gone with Donald Trump. It's totally out of the window, like, apart from Kanye. And <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. But and, uh, <laughs> and in the UK, it's, it's, it's not gone to that extreme. I'm kind of glad it hasn't because I just think it gets a bit muddied. And I feel like unless you really, really stand for the youth and represent, you know, what's going on in these streets, like, you shouldn't be trying to get that, you know. And I don't think any rapper should be trying to endorse any kind of political party or political um, um, standee unless that person is doing something about knife crime or is helping kids get jobs or, you know, is is, is moving things forward because it's not, you know, the the, the, the politics out here is, is kind of frightening how how shambolic it is. You know, it's, it's, we, I've said it so many times, we have no leaders. And we really don't. I just think the whole Brexit thing has has, has been um, a clear example of that. So involving music, there's been a couple of moments where Jeremy Corbyn has been embraced or has been mentioned or has been rapped about. And, you know, he's embraced it as well to a certain extent. And I just, I just... To be honest, I'd rather not see it unless it's truly, truly natural. What I would rather see, I'd rather see someone who's come from the artist community stand um, for some kind of role in parliament because I think that's the only way that there's going to be any kind of understanding with, with regards to what the youth need or what certain classes need and so forth. And I think... And he's going to hate me for saying this, but I think people like Akal or Dave, they should be, I've always said it about Dave as a future leader. And I think these, these people, we need to see people like that in government or within political parties with their influence and, you know, with, with their affiliations, with the kids, the fans, the culture and everything. I think, I think that's the way to move it forward rather than politicians using the hip hop vote to get on. So in some ways it almost comes across as, pandering right yeah. uh, i know that's one of the criticisms that a lot of the Demo u.s democratic candidates get whenever they come on the breakfast club right like hillary clinton taking the hot sauce out of her bag yeah yeah, she's yeah, doing yeah. That interview. yeah yeah it's horrible yeah it's it's interesting to hear though the push of the artists themselves because i think in a lot of ways you're right they are the ones that are connecting with the culture they are the ones that understand it and in an ideal perspective having those people speak to it, it's, it comes across in a more authentic way. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if Jay-Z ran for president? If Jay-Z ran for president, he would get a decent amount of the black vote, I would say, just given the connections that he has. I think he'd be able to empower a lot of the youth. I think that some of the stuff from his past that was a bit endearing, like him selling crack and him selling cocaine would come up again it's odd though because i think so much of that has been normalized in culture and there's been plenty of our past presidents that have done bad things but i think he may have to answer for that i think there's some specific things like his statements on kaepernick and all that but 
I think it would be an, an, an uphill battle because I'm not sure how Jay-Z's vote would turn over with like the heartland Democrat in the middle of the country, because I think in a lot of ways, those are the ones that you need uh, the swing voters. But I mean, you asked me six years ago, I never thought that Donald Trump would have became president either. And they said it about Ronald Reagan as well. They never thought a TV actor would. I mean, look, the, the, the only reason why I'm saying, and, I, and I'm, I'm being silly saying it, but basically he is the living embodiment of the American dream. You know, he, he did go from ashy to clashy. He turned his life around. He turned the negative to a positive and everything else and all of that. And I'm just saying at some point there will be a successful rapper who does it there will be it's just the 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 vehicle of popularity and influence and everything else which you know which 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 just works for donald trump there's going to be a moment when somebody does it whether it's over here or whether it's over there it, that's going to be interesting to see what yeah. happens when someone does that and i'm not i'm i'm not saying i don't want to get loads of tweets now like saying what the hell are you talking about i'm saying <laughs> there is going to be a rapper that runs for some kind of high political position and has got influence, whether it's the House of Commons in the UK or the White House or whatever, it's inevitable. If you had to put your money on one person, though, do you think it would be Jay-Z? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I think he's the greatest rapper alive. <laughs> but he's got, he's got a massive fan base, and he, but he plays the game and he understands it and he understands corporate America and everything else. So if, if not Jay-Z, I'm not sure who else, but... I think in terms of what he's done and how far he's taken it and what he means to business and everything else and so forth, there is someone's going to come along like him and will do it. As, as he would say himself, stranger things have happened. <laughs> exactly. Love to talk a little bit about your career. Made the transition a couple of years ago to Capital Extra, BBC Music. You were one of the folks that was most synonymous with that. But through this time, through this transition, you've made a point and you've said on the record too about why the radio format is still important to you even as the digital era continues podcasting video continues and those are all outlets that you have presence in as well but why is radio still so critical to you i think i think radio first and foremost is about music and it's the soundtrack to your life, you know, depending on what part of the day it is, whether it's the morning, whether it's the noon or whether it's at night. And I feel that it feeds the community. You know, there's different aspects to it. Of course, you can hear new music. And of course, not everybody wants to just throw on a curated playlist, which is a bit, you know, you want that spontaneity. You want you want to be able to, you know, hear tracks when you request it and so forth and hear the latest thing that just dropped and, have some kind of context provided. I feel that when I'm in America, I, I see it more, you know, when I, when I get off a plane in America, I literally walk around the streets of New York just to get a feel of what's going on because you can hear what's popping coming out of the cars in the streets, like in the stores when the radio's on. And I know people complain about um, the playlist being the same on both stations in New York City, but it's still the pulse of the city. It's still the high. It still feeds the community. It's still you know, this is what's going on at this moment in time in New York City. And I feel like for, for what I do in the UK, it's got elements of that. But I, one, I have a lot of fun doing it. I love it. I love music and I love being on there and I love mixing. So first and foremost, as a DJ, I love doing it. But I do think there's a service that is is not replicated by um technological changes yet because there's a human element element to it the need to listen and 
the need from a broadcaster, presenter, or a DJ to play music that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate I can play whatever I want. I can play any sound, any style of music. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's all good. So it, yeah, it's something that's not provided yet and, and, and in the digital or the tech world. I don't know if it ever will, to be honest. And I think as, as radio competes more with um, what's going on in the digital world, I think to some extent, the more it's valued, you know, um, in different formats, be it musical, be it a talk show and be it other stuff. I think there's always going to be a place there for radio. There's always going to be a place there for podcasting or digital broadcasting or whatever that turns into next. Why do you think that those other mediums can't getting a sense of what's popping in the streets in the same way? Because everything's pre-recorded and done two, three, four days ago. It's old news. We live in an era where something happens in the morning. You know, you know what it's like by the afternoon. It, it, it's not a thing anymore. I think everything moves so quickly. I think excitement can't be contained, packaged, pre-recorded, and then dropped three, four days later. It just can't. You know, is is if Drake drops a track on a Friday and it's a banger, you you want to be able to talk about it. People want to hear it and people want to access it. And worldwide music now comes out every Friday. So Friday, you know, if there's a record that cuts through as a global listening experience, we're all hearing it. And, and there's an element of, even though streaming companies get given tracks weeks up front or a few days up front, nobody really knows what's going to hit until it drops. And, you know, there's the thing that you could refer to as the wave, whatever that wave of consciousness is on that time of day or on that day, you know, you got to be able to reflect that or you got to be able to um, experience that like as a fan. So for instance, this Kanye album, when it drops tomorrow, everybody's going to have an opinion. Everybody's going to want to listen to it. Everyone's going to, you know, either want to celebrate it or diss it. And, as a DJ, I, I got I, I got to play it in full. I got to talk about it. I got to compare it to his previous albums. I, I got to compare it to what's going on right now. I, I believe every time Kanye drops an, an album, it, it influences another era in music. And I think with, yeah, you can't do that in a pre-recorded episode or a static playlist. It doesn't, you can't, you just can't. You're never going to be able to curate that excitement and that moment and that feel and that, that that need for engagement at that moment in time. We saw it when Dr. Dre dropped the Compton album. And even though it was Apple that was playing it on, on, on the stream, it was like, it was a shared experience worldwide. Like my friends in the US online and everything else, everybody was listening to it at the same time. Everybody was um, understanding what was going on, but was talking about it. And that 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 experience hasn't been done since. That's the only time I've seen it done like on a, on a text platform. But with everything else, and, and I think even that's changed now because everything drops on a Friday, you know, midnight in the US, 5 a.m. in the UK. It's, 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 it's different, you know. And I just, I just think that can't be replicated, th those feelings and, and, and that level of engagement. A lot of that you mentioned was the challenge of it being pre-recorded. What do you think about a show like Joe Budden Podcast? Like, even though his YouTube video, which is on a two-day, at least a two-day delay from when it comes out on Spotify, it still gets thousands of comments and you know hundreds of thousands of views each weekend from people that are comfortable getting their updates on wanting to hear what he had to say, even if it's 48 hours late. But that's, that's different. I, I feel like with what Joe Budden does, 
he's a voice that people want to listen to. I think from, you know, from everybody realize that from everyday struggle, his opinion and as someone who, he says he's retired, I don't believe that, but <laughs> as a retired rapper who's from the noughties, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have grown up with him. There's a generation of people that um, will look at him as, you know, their guy. There's a generation of kids who's like, who's this old head and they find him funny. So that opinion and that, discussion there's a place for that but it's very different to the experience of listening to an album um for yourself it's it's a music versus speech thing and i think you could say the same thing about elliot wilson with his interviews these are all these what what these people do and, and i'd like to include myself in that is document the culture in a specific way and these i feel like these are cultural markers that define that the document what's going on at this moment in time, but I still think that living, breathing discussion about music and hearing it collectively or hearing it on the day that it drops or, you know, um, if someone did a diss track like, you know, Pusha T and Drake and what forth, it, it, there's a real time element to that that people want there and then, as well as everything else. It's just we, we, we spend more time listening to things and watching things than ever before. So how does this difference between radio's strengths versus podcasting's weaknesses or podcasting's strengths as well? How does that translate to how you approach your uh, Who We Be talks? Podcast? Music is music versus speech. Is that it's, it's straight away is music versus speech. I mean, okay. So for instance, with there's, a, there's an artist out here called H who's blowing up. So the last episode of season two is with H and um, it was an in-depth talk. I could never do that on radio. My Friday night show is, is the pulse of the city. I've got to play music that people want to, I've got to keep listeners locked into my show while they're on the way to a show or a rave or whatever. Or they're at home, like chilling or whatever they're doing. I've got to keep people wanting to stay locked in. Like I need people um, posting Insta stories that, you know, when <laughs> they, shouldn't be, they shouldn't be doing this, but they're posting Insta stories when they're driving and their favorite track comes on or artists do it when their track comes on. I need that. that. That's what's going on, like Pulse of the City and everything else. With what I'm doing with the podcast, it's like, here's this artist at this moment in time in their career. It's a moment that will never be repeated. It's a moment that will never be recreated. To talk to an artist on the eve of his project coming out and he's not sure what it's going to do. It's, it's, it's like the end of phase one in his career. That's a moment in time that you're never going to go back to again to capture. The interview that I did with H at that moment in time, nobody else is doing it because it's done. I did episode one with Dave and he was talking about his hopes and dreams and he's talking about when he first heard from Drake and everything else and that raw excitement. I, I don't need to interview him for a while. That, that interview I did two years ago is still going to be better than anything that anybody else does because it was so innocent. It was so raw and it documents a moment when he was coming through. So it, that's the difference between why doing the podcast on what happens on radio? I think that makes sense, especially because if you're able to capture a bit of that moment, then it sets you in a different tone as well. Because I think oftentimes the people that are doing both simultaneously, both the radio and the podcasting, it's this balance where they should have the same type of voice in terms of the consistency of who they are. But 
they need to understand the differences between the mediums. And I don't think everyone necessarily does that. I think I think Charlemagne does that pretty well. But there's a few folks, I'm not going to call anyone out specifically, but there's a few folks that I think could do a little bit better job segmenting that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do what I do on the podcast on radio and I couldn't do what I do on radio on the podcast. It's, it is, it's two very, very different things. And like I said, one's more an immediate lifestyle thing. One's more, this is the, this is a moment in time. That's, that's the way I look at it anyway. Um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating that, like you said, you know, you can recall one or two names. There's not many names that you, you're not saying 10 names. It's not, you know, a countless list. This is only a couple of people that do it few questions for you, quick questions before we let you go. We mentioned everyday struggle earlier. This was intended to be a debate style show. This was supposed to be ESPN first take Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless of hip hop. Do you think that that type of show format can work in hip hop? Um, <laughs> good question. I think... I think I think it can if there is no I think it see all right I know every artist out here in the UK and I know a lot in the US and my my approach to to, to music is I want to see everybody win and everything else and I, and I, and I, I'm I'm here for the positive I'm not here for the negative I'm not here to put anyone down or whatever 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 and I think if if you do do that kind of thing, there's there's got to be a way where it's done without any kind of. See, it's difficult because everyone's got some kind of ties, but it's it's like from one extreme to the other. You're going to get people who are too diplomatic and are not going to go there, or you're going to get two people. You're going to get people who are just going to be totally offensive, and it's it's some fuck shit basically. And and I don't think either of them are right formats to do it i preferred academics um youtube clips i thought they were dope because the way that he did his opinion the way that he edited the video and then his shock reaction and you know and things were going on and everything else and i think i just think i don't know i think when you're on a corporate platform i don't know if it works i don't know if i don't know if you can compare the sport of sport with the sport of rap because um there's a lot at stake there's, um, for the artists. And I feel like, you know, there's a responsibility to protect the culture. And I think it's, I don't know, I don't know how you do it properly in the right way. You know, someone, there's a, there's a platform that's doing something. There's this, yeah, it, this, yeah I, I'm not even going to get into that. But it's, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think everyone's got an everyone's got an opinion, and I think it's important everybody has their opinion. But I just think when you start putting it in a format and a show and a corporation, and it's amplified to a big audience, I don't know if it's good when it comes to that. At that point, and this is something that I even think about as well when I write Trapital. Of course, I've had several articles that have been critical about particular artists and how they've gone about particular decisions, but I'm bringing the facts and it comes from an objective perspective of how I think their particular deal could have went or strategy, which is very different than 
some of the more subjectiveness that needs to come through in a format show like that. What article have you had the most flack for in the past? Oh, good question. Um, I wrote an article about Chance the Rapper a couple months ago, and it was about what he gets wrong about ownership. And I'm sure as you've seen, Chance has been a very strong beacon for the independent movement. He was on he was on the Breakfast Club, and he was like, "Never sign to a label, don't sign to a distributor, don't get a management deal, etc." And of course, I'm like, "Okay, there's nuance to that because if you're trying to get to, you know, if you're trying to be the biggest star in the world, it might be a little tough. But if you're trying to be a very successful artist and you're comfortable with some of the trade offs, you can do that. And I don't think that nuance stuff necessarily comes off." And I think a lot of the people that are 100% in that um, pro-independence, anti-record label camp had a, few, had a few challenging thoughts for me on that. So that's one that mm. comes to mind. Mm. I mean, I, th- I think with that, I mean, I always say you got to do what's right for you. You know, there's an artist out here called Jamie. He does everything himself. He, he, he no manager. Um, he, he, he says it on his bio, there's, there's, there's no manager, no this, no that. He does everything, he produces raps and everything else. It's highly successful, but not everybody can be JME. You know, there's some people that need to do label deals, some people that are just destined for distribution. It's just, you just got to do what's right for you. I don't, I don't think it's down to anybody to say, don't do that, do this. I think, I think that's a bit... I think that's a bit. I think that's a bit wrong. I think the artists got to figure out what's right for them, and that's it, and their team, you know. So... That's, that's crazy. Next question. You mentioned before that you knew that Kendrick was special. I think it was after you had heard Section 80, or you even knew that Drake was special early on. And I often hear people say that, and I'm like, okay, it makes sense. We can connect the dots and see how things were there, even in their rawest, in the rawest things they put out. But was there anyone that you thought was going to be special, or you had that instinct, but things didn't turn out that way? Um... Lupe Fiasco, I feel like he should have been, I think he should have been where Kendrick is. I feel like he, he could have done it because he's, he's an amazing lyricist, very cool guy. He's got a different way of looking at things. I did a documentary for the BBC about hip hop and Obama, and he was the only person that had a truly objective viewpoint on him. Like everybody else was like, oh, you know, black president and this, this, and, and, you know, glowing things to say about him. He's the only person that really broke it down why, um, you know, black kind of wasn't that guy for him. And I feel like, I feel like from when he was coming through, from when he was doing the early mixtapes, he was incredible. You know, from when he did, he flipped um, Kanye's diamonds, and, and everything else and all of that, like he, he should have really been um, in a different place. But I, I get it, you know, he, he had a really bad experience with the major label system and everything and he's had other stuff going on. But like, I, you know, he's still to this day, he's one of the dopest artists, but, and, and you know, I'm not saying he, he's not done it because he isn't within that realm of where Kendrick is, but I do feel like he should have been recognized more than what he is. Um, and 
yeah, that's the that's the one that immediately springs to mind because he was dope. And and with Kendrick and Drake, it was, you know, even with Kendrick, it was before Section Eight. He was it was you know it was the EPs and the mixtapes. You know what he was doing, overly dedicated and everything else. And there's a guy who was working on my site at the time called Roy. He actually put me onto him, and it was like, yeah, you could just hear it. You could hear it. You can hear it in the bars. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a rap enthusiast. Like I, I love musical substance and great lyricism, and you can. You can hear that very, very early on, you know, even though they haven't got that body of work yet that everybody else understands or the hit that connects everyone. But, you know, if you're a fan of lyricism, you can hear in the music from day one. I would agree 100% on Lupe Fiasco. That first album was a classic. The second one was great. And at that point, everyone really was looking at him as that next guy. And as you mentioned, the label stuff and... I think it was it was also an interesting time for the the politics when he said his critical statements about Obama. I think one of the songs he either likened him to a terrorist or said that he was supporting terrorist acts. I forget how how he had worded it in the song, but yeah, that I think that set a lot of people off and, you know, from there it quickly turned into a someone that became a bit of a rapper's rapper, and you never thought that that was going to be the trajectory for for Lupe. Last question for you. I was looking at my own Trapital numbers analytics the other day. I saw that London was actually the fourth biggest market, and I was I was impressed by that. You've been spreading the word for me out there. <laughs> Made them retweets are kicking in, <laughs> but I think I think it's. But I think it's good someone like yourself pays attention to what's happening out here because, um, of course, I'm incredibly passionate and loyal to what we do out here. But it is, it is, you know, it, you, what's going on in America, the United States of America. We, we've got the United Kingdom, but which we're part of the United States of Europe, despite what happens with Brexit or whatever. But it's fascinating what's going on in France at the moment, what's going on in Germany, what's going on in Italy, what's going on um, in Sweden, definitely Africa, what's happening over there. It, globally, it's, it's incredible, and Russia as well, it's, it's incredible to see what's going on in India. All of these scenes worldwide, like, you know, labels refer to what's going on in India, China, and Africa as developing markets. I think that's a bit insulting, but it's there's scenes everywhere and there's artists that are popping and god bless streaming god bless social media because the world has become a smaller place and we're all learning about each other and we're all merging sounds together and everything um but but out here it's it's turning into a very real industry you know and and it's it's almost two-tiered you've got the independent industry and you've got the major label side of things but you know, touring, if someone wants to do research on the figures, the amount of money that's being made for touring right now as as a genre or genres between grime, UK rap, and, and, and you know, with, with Afro Swing and everything else, there's, there's a lot of money in this market. And I feel that it's only going to get bigger. The influence is only going to grow. I feel that there's only going to be more collaboration. And I'm I'm glad because for years it was like, it was like, we look up, to the US and the US looked down on us and now it's different. It's a level playing field now, you know, there's still some work to be done. There's still some numbers that need to match, but proportionately for the size of this country compared to the size of America, um, we're definitely getting there. 
Yeah. Which which artists do you genuinely feel, not who you're paying attention to because of, you know, the business or, you know, the, the media profile, but is there anyone who you've connected with just purely like, you know, I, I can actually listen to this. I like this guy. At um, YBN Corday, I think that, right. that yeah, he's, he's really impressive. His flow is great. I think that he's still a bit slept on, even though he's performed at SNL. Um yeah, I think that album was good, and it, I think I'm interested to see where he's gonna go, where he's gonna go next. What about what about from the UK? Uh, from the UK, I th- I thought that Giggs was going. I- I'll say this: I thought that when Giggs had got on more life, I was like, okay, because I was be honest, that was my first exposure to him, and I was like, oh, this is dope. Like we need to have more of this. And I was kind of surprised that we didn't see more, but I think that was the first person that had stuck to me. Stormzy, I think the first time that I heard, I, I felt like I more so needed to get a bit more accustomed to the wave and accustomed to the music he was putting out there. But Giggs was the first person I would say that spoke to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, if when something to consider when, when, you know, in terms of when you're writing about over here, you should really look at the business of D Block Europe in terms of what they're doing as a duo, as an independent rap act that, you know, they, they like, is, D Block Europe is two MCs, Young Ads and LB, and they're inspired by D Block. Like they, they love D Block. They're fans of D Block and very early on in their career they connected with them and they were, you know, given Jada's blessing to use the name D Block Europe over here. Now it, it, whenever I speak to anyone in America and they're like, What? D Block Europe? Like, yo, the term D Block Europe over here, the kids who listen to them have no idea about who Jada Kiss Styles and Sheik Luch is or, you know, the actual D-Block. If anything, it's like a stepping stone to learn about a group that, you know, laid the foundations for like New York hip hop and everything else. But over here, D-Block Europe, the waves that they've got and what they're doing and the momentum, like, like I said, selling crazy tickets, getting crazy streams and it's not stopping anytime soon. Um, certain U.S. moguls have been talking about working with them on a more. Lo- I don't, you know, it's not for me to put it out there, but like they, you're going to be hearing a lot about them. Like, def- like moving forward, these these guys are going to cut through, especially internationally. So, I'm just saying, it's like if if you if you want them London clicks, like definitely like shine a light on those guys because no one else is really doing it, and I think. In a minute, everyone else is going to be doing it. When it all clicks and everything else, all of a sudden, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, like, you know. But I'd, I'd just say, like, just do that one early. Like, they're dope. They're coming through. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, on that note, before we let you go, is there anything else that the Trapple audience should know about? Um, <laughs> yo, 2020, I've got a lot of things planned and, you know, and a lot of... Sp- different spaces as well. Definitely going to be doing a lot more in the podcast space. Um, I'm on radio every Friday night from nine. If you're ever in the UK, switch on Capital Extra, you get a feel for what's going on out here. And yeah, the book Hip Hop Raise Me is out now available from wherever books are sold. It's the perfect Christmas gift. Awesome. Awesome. Sam, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thanks for joining the pod. Nah, listen, thank you, man. It's an honor, man. Like, thanks a lot. Like, thanks for having me on here. Of course. We'll catch you next time, man. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go rate and review. That helps continues to boost Trapital Podcast in the rankings. And also, please go to the Trapital.co website. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. There is a ton of great content there. So please check out the articles, sign up for the newsletter, and I'll see you all next time.